Welcome to the Happiest Ever After podcast. I'm your host, Tatiana Robertson. And yes, you heard right, happy-ish. Because this podcast is not about chasing the fairy tale. We've seen behind the curtain and most of us are ready to hop off the hamster wheel of perfection. If you've ever wondered, how'd I end up in this life? How can I change it? What do I want from life? Is there more? Then this podcast is for you. The fairy tale may not be real. That's the good news. Because life is an amazing adventure and it's time for you to pick up the pen and write your own story. So let's get started and see where this journey takes us. I am so excited about today's guest, Courtney Runyon. And first, I've just got to say a little shout out to my friend, Matt, who said, I met this woman. She's so incredible. You absolutely have to have her on the podcast. And I was like, for sure, because I trust you. Send her name along. And so we got in touch and that was great. And I just want to tell you a little bit about Courtney. Courtney Runyon is a motivational speaker and an international best-selling author and a positive psychology coach. And I know you think that's all great and wonderful, but really wait till you hear her story because after going from living her best life to living life in a wheelchair, completely dependent on her friends and family, Courtney was faced with the ultimate decision. She decided that she was going to stay optimistic in the face of tragedy and That was the difference between walking figuratively and literally towards a better life or suffering in the one that she was given. She had neck down paralysis and she moved from there to hiking 500 miles across Spain. She has been featured on major media outlets, including the Daily Mirror, Yahoo News, the Daily Star. She's had over 40 million views on her social media, and she has become an international voice of inspiration. And her appearance on ABC's TV station, WFAA Channel 8 News, won an Emmy in 2018. So Courtney has shared her secret to staying positive when life falls apart in front of larger organizations like Amazon and Samsung. But today she spends her day to day coaching empaths and health professionals through the emotional roller coaster of life altering changes. Still, despite being legally disabled from the residual damage of her autoimmune, she completed a Hatha Yoga 120-hour intensive. She's traveled solo through three continents and then drove to Cabo San Lucas in Mexico from Texas, and that's where she currently resides. Also, some big news on the horizon is that you will also have a documentary that is going to be released on Netflix in 2023. So much amazing stuff. Welcome. I'm so honored to have you. Thank you, beautiful. I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh. First of all, can you take us to that first? Like you were living a great life, love of your life, things were going great, and then something changed. Yeah, that's the thing. I. I was blissfully in denial that I really thought I had life figured out. And to be fair, I think I had a lot of stuff figured out, but I always thought these tragedies, these illnesses, that won't happen to me. I mean, I've, I'm meditating every day. I'm grounding, getting sunshine. I have a good job, great group of friends. I was vegan at the time, drinking detox teas, green smoothies, or only organic, going to the farmer's market to get all my stuff. I was with the love of my life great relationship with my family and just thought bad stuff doesn't happen to people like me in that situation. And I worked hard to live well. Yeah. And then my thumb went numb and then my leg went numb. And then one night I was walking in high heels and my ankle started rolling and I had to take off my shoes. And I thought, what is happening to me? My body just slowly started shutting down. But yeah, I mean, I, I was really healthy before. I think a lot of times when we see somebody else get really sick or we see something bad happen to them that we wouldn't want to happen to us, we immediately as a coping mechanism, we want to figure out why that person had something bad happen to them that why it happened to them and not us. We want to know that we're safe. So we have, we want to pick apart someone else's story and be like, well, they got sick because they eat unhealthy or they, you know, had that bad thing happen because they do stuff that I don't. So that you feel safe. But, you know, I really live, was living a healthy, happy, 
vibrant life. And it was crazy that my body just started shutting down and I got weaker and weaker and weaker until I was eventually 11 and a half months later, paralyzed from the neck down. My lungs were going paralyzed and lost my voice. I was having trouble swallowing and breathing. And even my colon was going weak, which is super sexy. And the doctors told me there was nothing else they could do for me. Wow. I completely agree. It's a defense mechanism that we want to believe. We have to believe that everything's going to be okay for us. It sounds so scary. It sounds like it must have been the most terrifying thing because you were someone who took such incredible care of herself. And then to slowly, little by little, it didn't happen overnight. Like this just progressed. What was it like? What did you do when you noticed like first your thumb and, and I'm one of those people that I, maybe I tend to go a little bit in the catastrophic way where I'm like, I have a headache. <laughs> Obviously it's a tumor. So yeah. Okay. Clearly I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you blow it off at first, but then <laughs> yeah. it gets worse. No, that's, that is what I did. I blew it off at first. I, I just thought ah, maybe I'm dehydrated or B vitamin deficient or I don't know, something, something I saw in a documentary somewhere. And I just thought it would just go away. And I think that's kind of a natural reaction for a lot of people when something starts changing your life that you don't want, you just pretend it's not happening or think it'll go away or think it'll stop. And then it just continued to invade into my life. And one of my favorite quotes is, nothing ever leaves you until it's taught you what it needs to treat you. And so much of suffering is when we are being forced into a different direction and we don't adapt and we don't adjust, but you know, people really underestimate how adaptable they really are. I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me, Oh my gosh, Courtney, I couldn't have gone what you gone through, what you went through. You were paralyzed from the neck down and all this crazy stuff. But the the fear of something happening is so much worse than the actual thing. Mm -hmm. Once that actual thing happens, we as human beings, I think, you know, yes, we'll have grief, we'll have loss, but if we're seeking joy, we'll find it. If we're seeking being a victim, we'll find it. Whatever you're seeking, you know, when I was in the nursing home, I lived in a nursing home or hospital for over a hundred days. And, you know, it was so crazy looking around. I thought, how did I get here? I don't belong here. I'm 33 years old. And I'm living in a nursing home. It was so crazy, but it was interesting because I looked at each person in there and the type of person we were shined through, even in this different circumstance and situation. And what I mean by that is before I went to the nursing home, I was a costume wearing, full of life, festival going, giggly, happy girl. And in the nursing home, I was wearing costumes and I was giggly and I found ways to be silly, even though I couldn't move. And then There's this guy, Sean, who's actually the designer of Tesla, which is really cool. I was uh, bouncing around in a wheelchair with him. (laughs) Really cool guy. But we were both paralyzed. And before he got into the nursing home, he was a CrossFit guy. And he was positive thinking. And in the nursing home, he was in the gym every day, longer than everyone, pushing down on this little foot thing. And, you know, he was that same person always in the gym and always uplifting people and being supportive. And then there was, am I allowed to cuss on here? Of course. <laughs> okay, cool. Cause this is kind of a funny story, but then there was this guy, I think his name is Mike and Mike was an ex, you know, cop and he had a bad attitude and he thought the world sucked. And sure enough, you know, in the nursing home after his car accident, the world sucked and he had a bad attitude. And it was so funny because he was sitting in the living room every day watching sports, probably something he used to do also. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting there watching sports every day, yelling cocksucker <laughs> over and over again. And the nurses would be like, Michael, stop it. And he'd be like, cocksucker. <laughs> and he just like, wouldn't stop. And I was just sitting in my wheelchair looking around like, is anyone hearing this guy watching football yelling <laughs> cocksucker all day? Like, so it, it was just interesting perspective to see that even as our circumstances change, like we're so attached to our circumstances, you know, especially identifying how happy we're allowed to be, depending on these different factors, how much self-acceptance we're allowed to have, depending on these factors. Mm-hmm. But when those factors change, you know, we're, we keep thinking if these fact, if I have the perfect circumstances and the perfect factors around me, then I'll be perfect inside. And it's just not that way. Like it's the exact opposite. 
Yeah. The factors and circumstances changed for everyone in that nursing home, but everyone gravitated to the same thing they normally gravitate to internally. But anyways, yeah, it was a major life change for sure. But what you just said, that's exactly it. So often we think if I am fit, if I am skinny, if I am rich, then I'll be happy. And so there's this constant pursuit, right. but it actually is always inside you. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I, wish, Unfortunately. I wish it was as easy as I'm going to go get attain that thing and all these assets and then I'm going to be perfect. I wish. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, that's just not the way it works. But kind of isn't that the joy of life? Isn't that it? <laughs> and the fact that it's not just happiness that you're going to find inside, because how good is happiness if you don't know sadness or anger or despair? Like you got to feel all the feelings because it's the contrast that makes life colorful. Yeah. Yeah. I like uh, Conversations with God, that book. I still haven't finished it because it's enormous, but he says, we're not here to find ourselves. We're here to create ourselves. And another mm. thing he talks about is how we have to know what something isn't to know what it is. So you have to know what love isn't so you can know what love is. You have to know what being angry with yourself and judgmental of yourself is so that you know what loving and accepting yourself really means. Yeah. And I, I love that, that contrast of emotion. You have to have both or neither exist. Yeah. I think that's also how our brains work. We can't even, they can't truly appreciate it. Like you ever have that where you're doing something and you're just so thirsty because you've been physically exerting yourself, right? And then water, like nothing tastes as good as just plain water at that time, right? <laughs> but then how often do you go to a restaurant and you're like, I'd really like some plain water. Now hold back on the margaritas. <laughs> I'm hoping for some water, right? <laughs> <laughs> it makes us, it just makes us want it more. You know, it's like the purity of one experience amplifies the other, even though that's why they're the two sides of a coin. I've got a book for you. Just did first book of the month on the podcast and it's Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown's book. Oh my God. Oh yeah, I read it. Life changing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. She's great. <laughs> so many great learnings from that. So many. I think it is natural, like you said, going back to you can't really feel your thumb. Our default shouldn't be, I can't feel my thumb. Let's go run to the doctors right now. But this wasn't your experience. It's not like, oh, I couldn't feel my thumb. And then the next day it was back. It really did start to just expand and expand. What was your journey like getting people also to hear you and listen to you as this was going on? Did you have support? Did they figure out what it was fairly quickly? Yeah, I had so much support. I'm really, really lucky. I have a wonderful family and wonderful support system that, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Probably get off topic by even bringing it up. But I noticed that the more I accepted myself and accepted my situation, the greater my support system became. Oh. And I noticed that when people feel like they are not supported. And of course, this doesn't mean everyone in every situation. I'm just talking about the lens through uh, watching people whose life massively takes a change, you know, usually because of illness. But the people that believe no one supports them are the people that believe no one can. Yeah. Like the victim mentality, the no one will help me. No one loves me. The world is hard. This isn't fair. It's hard to get people to support you on your journey when you believe no one can help you Yeah, because it's hard for somebody to reach out and say, I'm here to help. And then you say, you can't, I had a huge support system and that was really awesome. But my diagnosis, it's chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, which stands for CIDP. It's very similar to Guillain-Barre. Some people know what that is. It's where my immune system attacks my peripheral nervous system. Whereas multiple cirrhosis attacks your central nervous system, mine's peripheral. Mm. So that's the difference between mine and MS. But there's not a test for it. It's not a virus. It's not a bacteria. It's not as easy to test for as multiple cirrhosis where they can see brain lesions and MRI. It's basically process of elimination. Mm. And they go through and eliminate lupus, MS, Lyme, whatever, until they get it down to one of two things, ALS or CIDP. And the only way to tell the difference is if they start treating you and you get better. Uh, they can also do a spinal tap where they can see if you have an excess of antibodies 
So it took, you know, nine months from the time my symptoms started to the point that I was diagnosed to go through that process of elimination. And even after I started treatment at the Mayo Clinic and was doing Dr. Joe Dispenza meditations three hours a day, ozone, nutritional IVs, supplementation, autoimmune protocol diet, keto, all of that stuff, all of that on top of the medication given to me from the Mayo Clinic, which is the number one neurological clinic in the United States, I still got worse and worse and worse and nothing was working no matter what I did or how hard I tried. And I continued to decline until that day when the doctors said there was nothing else they could do. And they're very good doctors. They threw everything they could at me that they are empowered to be able to do. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. And that was a moment that I had to have this conversation with myself of I'm 33 years old. I'm doing all of the holistic, all of the spiritual, all of the crazy diet supplementation stuff and Western medicine. And it's all of it's failing. Why am I not getting better? And I had to really evaluate what my life was or could possibly be causing any kind of stress, you know, putting myself in a stress response, any kind of harm to me energetically. And I identified that there's only one thing in my life at that time that could be in the realm of stress, inflammation, or harm. And that was my relationship. My boyfriend at the time, he was the love of my life. He made me very happy. He did a lot of things really great. But the dynamic we had and the place he was in his life at that time was very stressful. And I I broke up with him that day. I was being discharged from the hospital and I said, I don't, don't know what else to do. I've done everything else except for this. And after an 11 and a half months of declining, slowly losing abilities, abilities to wipe myself, dress myself, feed myself, had to go on disability from my job, lose my home, move across the country from my friends, just life slowly being taken day by day by day. After 11 and a half months of that, after I broke up with him, I started getting better two days later. And I've only gotten better since. I've never had a setback or a relapse or anything. So that was really eye-opening that sometimes we think that if we eat the perfect diet or if we do everything the doctor tells us, then that's that's the key. Or that if we I, you know, do Dr. Joe Dispenza meditations, like I've, people have suggested so many times, but sometimes even the people we love the most and just these relationships we have in our life and taking on other people's stress and feeling, you know, the emotions of other people and loving someone with all our heart to the point that our boundaries are no longer present, that they can literally paralyze you from the neck down. Oh, as you were speaking about how things were progressing, I could feel my heart just racing. Like I, <laughs> that is just an unimaginable amount of stress to really be in a place where your lungs are starting to become paralyzed and recognizing that you have, you've done everything. You've, you've let go, you've accepted assistance. Like that is such a powerful thing because that's a lot of inner work. So you were on that path. You're, you're doing your inner work. You're doing your meditation. You're, you're doing everything that the doctors tell you to do. You are surging forward to the best of your ability. And at that point, to still have the ability to stop and pause and say, this relationship is the last piece of toxicity in my life. And tied up with that toxicity is love and attachment and a lot of other things. And you don't know, like now you know, okay, and then after that, I started getting better. But at the time that you made that courageous decision for yourself, that's, that's the only word I can think that describes how I view that action is just this ultimate bit of courage that you took that said, this is what I have to release. It's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just such, I don't know if it was courage. Or... I'm just, I'm sitting here going like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like the courage that that took. And it's amazing. And in retrospect, I mean, hindsight's always 2020. It's such a cliche, but it's true. You look back and you go that relationship, even when all the other relationships were loving and supporting, that relationship impacted me so significantly in my body that I couldn't heal. Yeah. Does it still blow your mind? No, no, yeah, it blew my mind. And it's something I couldn't unsee. They did do some different treatments in the hospital. That was my second hospital stay. They did some different stuff. And that 
definitely could be a big factor in my recovery. But for me to start getting better two days after cutting off that source of stress, I, I think that it actually helped that everything else work. I feel like until I got that main source of stress and inflammation out of the way that nothing else could could have made a difference. It's like that law of physics that something in motion wants to stay in motion, but the hard part is actually getting it in motion at the first, right? Yeah. You had to get it going so that your body could respond. And then your body kicked in and was like, yeah, our bodies are miracles. Yeah. Our bodies are miracles at healing themselves and our brains are surprisingly unintelligent. <laughs> I mean, they run, they're just running this software system in the background, but they aren't actually helping us make the really great choices. I don't actually know what part of our body is doing that. I think maybe, maybe it is our heart. Maybe it is our gut. Maybe it is the whole being that gives us the courage because our brain's just an administrator. Yeah. Pass me this and I'll do what I'm told to do. Yeah. Our brain's like Google. I mean, you can find anything up there. Yeah. <laughs> anything you look for. But you always had this amazing joy inside of you. It's who you are. Thank you. Yeah. How did that play into it? Yeah, I a few stories. The main one that was a pivotal moment for me was I was in the wheelchair paralyzed from the neck down and I had lost my home. I remember when I left my home, I left things by the sink in the bathroom for when I got home. And I never got home. I never saw that condo again and moved away from my friends. Basically everything that was in my life was not there anymore. Mm. And I was sitting, even being in my parents' house, even though that was a very positive change, it was still a change because I was so out of sight, out of mind. I have an amazing family. I was totally unfair to them, but I was just living life and, you know, never called home. So it was even a change. My sister says that I came home a paralyzed stranger and I left a best friend, which is sweet. But this pivotal moment, I was in the wheelchair and I thought, I'm 33, living with my parents, paralyzed from the neck down. And this could be really sad. It could be. And I thought, what makes me more sad as I sit here and experience this is I already lost all this stuff in my life and lost opportunities we grieve the loss of what we had, but we also grieve what will never become or what will not be. And so I had a lot of that grief and I thought, but I don't want to also lose time of my life, wishing it was over and waste time of my life being sad. You know, I'm in my thirties. That's such a great time of life. How sad to spend years of my thirties, just trying to get to another destination, a, a different place where then I'm allowed to be happy. I can be happy when I walk again. I can be happy when my body doesn't look disabled anymore. I can be happy when I start working, don't live with my parents anymore. That was really sad. So I thought, okay, well, we all live with so much fear of the future and fear of, you know, what if, what if, what if. And I thought, well, if I can make myself feel joy and happiness in this situation, then does the situation even matter? Because that is so much of our quality of life is, the energy, the the emotions, the perspectives that we're experiencing from moment to moment, like that's the quality of life. Mm-hmm. So I thought if I could just shift into joy, then I can have a good quality of life no matter what. And then the future, the fears, they, the insecurities, they just dissolve away. And it's not always easy at that time where I, where I found joy was wearing the costumes in the nursing home. And I can't tell you how funny it was to roll into physical therapy gyms and see a 75 year old man on the elliptical, just looking at me and just laughing his ass off. (laughs) It was so funny. It was so funny. And, you know, everyone I rolled by was, would smile at whatever I was wearing on my head and it made me happy. It was funny. And there's such a power in trauma because If you can look at someone with genuine joy, it's nice if you smile through it too. That also takes courage and strength Mm -hmm. to make a choice where I'm going to try. But when you can actually genuinely look at someone with pure joy through your trauma, and then you give the other person the space and belief and hope that they can find joy in their situation too. Mm -hmm. And that is a massive power to be able to carry with you. And I found a lot of joy in that. And Since then, I've found different ways to find joy as I've healed. For example, 
I got sick of physical therapy and I thought, what's a really cool way I can rehab my body outside of these hospital walls. So I went to Mazunte in Mexico to a yoga ashram meditation center and did a Hatha yoga intensive to rehab my body in this beautiful place. And it was cheap. It was cheaper to be there, you know, because it was like a wooden shed than it was back in Texas. I just found ways to work with my circumstances, my finance, my situation, my physical capabilities and thought, how can I make this awesome? I'm in awe of you. (laughs) You're sweet. You see the good in people and you look for it. That's good. I do. I remember (laughs) I was once dating someone and he would say, we don't live on an effing unicorn farm. And I was like, (laughs) speak for yourself. (laughs) I I don't know. I see a lot of beautiful people around me. And right now I'm talking to one of them because your joy, it vibrates from you. And at the same time, you talked about being in the sorrow and you were there because that was a really difficult thing you were working through. That was a lot of loss when you, I just imagined my kitchen right now and walking out the door and not coming back. And I can picture it right now with like all the dirty dishes from breakfast that haven't been taken care of. (laughs) But that's a huge loss. You had a whole life and it was so tangible. And of course there's going to be sorrow that you had this immense wisdom. Some, I, joy and wisdom, I think so often exist in the same sphere. The Venn diagram, I love a Venn diagram, the Venn diagram of wisdom and joy, I think, uh, must be very overlapping. Whereas intelligent or intellectual, there's a difference, right? Like, I feel like there was just this, such this awareness of yourself when you talk about, and then what did I want my future to be? This is my 30s. These are great years. And you didn't want to just wish away your days. And we say that. A lot of people say that. Well, you don't want to wish away your days, but you lived it. And I love then that you go off to Mexico and you join a Hatha yoga. (laughs) I go to yoga every day. So, of course, I'm like, I've already got all my yoga stuff on for my 615 power yoga tonight. So (laughs) nice. (laughs) So, of course, I just think it's one of the most amazing ways to be with your body. Yeah. Yoga is really hard for me still because my balance is so bad. The Hatha yoga, it was much slower. So it, it worked a little better for my, where my body's at. I, I, I've really gotten into Pilates on the reformer. I love that. Yes. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah y- yoga is really special. It is. I think a lot of us have become detached from our bodies. It's what's happened today because we don't have these very active lives, a lot of us, or just the type of culture that we have. It's about pushing and achieving and how much we can do. And there's, and there's nothing wrong. Like I absolutely think it's amazing. Cross-country skiers, long distance runners, mountaineers, tennis players, you know, I think it's all great when people excel, but the every day of just existing and feeling it and being in touch with it. Did that happen to you through this process? Because you sought out yoga and I'm just sort of wondering, did you get this reconnection with every sense in your body through this journey? You know, that was one of the hardest parts as a woman. I was athletic before I felt sexy and my body became deformed. You know, I, my belly button ended up almost to, you know, the side of my body. My hands look like all of my fingers have been broken. You know, this, there was so many, and they still look that way. And there were so many changes that happened to an athletic, sexy body. And as I started to recover, I had body dysmorphia to the max. And I'll put it, I'll say it like this. The only clothes I would wear was my sister's maternity clothes so that I could just feel hidden and people couldn't see all the changes that had happened. And I was tiny. I weighed like 130 pounds. I'm five foot seven. And I was in maternity clothes and so much shame of my body and the way it looked. And I'm still coming out of that. I'm still overcoming some of that. And I've gotten a lot more comfortable in my skin with my boyfriend I have now. He's really helped with that. But it was, it was so hard to look in the mirror and it was really dysmorphia, you know, like an anorexic person looks and sees someone fat. I just saw so much deformity. That was hard. I got very disconnected from my body for sure. Yeah. 
And then how is that? You said you're going through the healing process still with that. Yeah. I mean, that's been one of the last things that I've really, and still overcoming. And there was, there was a lot of things like becoming social again, as a person with disability and, you know, dating was just, oh my gosh, I can't even, I can't even put words into the intimidation of being naked in front of someone for the first time after being paralyzed and still having paralyzed hands. I don't have to be too graphic to explain the insecurities that go with having paralysis in your hands in an intimate setting. So it was, it was, I mean, impossibly. I, I remember the first time I kissed a guy after being paralyzed, he, he tried for seven months and I, I actually wanted to kiss him and I couldn't, I physically was paralyzed to the point I couldn't do it because it was so scary. I was so scared of being a bad kisser or, you know, being rejected or not. I mean, mainly it's just like not feeling good at it, and, but also not knowing how to move my body in these new ways mm. in that way. And it was, it, well, gosh, it was so hard. It was really, really hard. <laughs> yeah reimagining your life on a whole different level. Oh, I didn't even think of that. And there's so much gender stuff that goes on with women and our bodies and how we present. Yeah. And during the years of like, when we're supposed to be seeking our partner and society's telling us this is where you should be right now. And, and you're just like, let's start back. It's yeah, girl. I, uh, I still, when I walk, it looks like I've been drinking beer at the beach all day, or sometimes I joke, like I look like uh, a dog in socks when I walk, <laughs> I still have paralysis on my right leg. So I have to really pick my feet up really high. Uh, so yeah, that intimidation of a woman supposed to walk in the room and be sexy and I can't wear high heels and I can't, I mean, I'm just trying not to fall down when I walk in. So yeah, that, that pressure that to meet these impossible expectations I've really surrendered to that a lot though, not without conscious effort, but just accepting that my charm is in being silly, you know, not in walking sexy in high heels that we can show up being attractive in our own way. And I'm sure that your boyfriend reminds you every day that you are sexy AF. <laughs> yeah, he's good at it. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's good at it. Yeah. And I'm sure that how he sees you is so completely different. And you can't even imagine how the world sees you as this beautiful, powerful human being marching across the beach because you're comparing <laughs> to something that passed. I'm going to tell you a little story that I didn't tell you before. My dad, when I was, I think I was about 10 years old and he, he took us to Disneyland for a day. We drove from Canada to Disneyland for a day. And I don't think that's where he really wanted to go. It's that he was super close with his cousin, Eleanor, and she was in a hospital in San Francisco. She had had the flu and had swelling in her brain that resulted in paralysis. She was in California because she was working for the studios. She was an illustrator and that was her career and her she's right-handed and she was completely paralyzed so the first time that i met her because she'd had this very successful career in california you know i'd heard about her my dad's favorite cousin i met her for the first time and she was just like they do ice baths with her legs and um and she had this carved walking stick that someone had brought her from Mexico and I was like 10 years old and she had this like sassy white t-shirt that said chow across it right and I thought she was the coolest woman <laughs> I'd ever met in my life bar none she's tiny 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 like like petite trying to sort of like march down the hallway with this like walking stick that she was very dependent on and paralyzed on the right side and laughing and joking and kind of like poking people with her stick and just was so obviously adored by everyone there and just brought this vibrancy it's like teeny tiny little package whole lot of energy i'll never forget that i re also remember when we went to the World Exposition was in Vancouver, Expo 86. And as a 
disabled person, she could bring along somebody who had to be there to assist her because in crowds, you can get jostled, she could fall. Uh, she needed an assistant there. So with her pass, so she took me along and she was like, it's such a scam. You get to come in for free because you're my, and the big air quotes, <laughs> assistant. She did legitimately, you know, need some help with stairs and stuff like this, but her joy and her way of being and moving through life. I just think to this day, she is one of the sassiest and just most amazing, powerful creatures on this planet everything that she can do. I know that there are people that see you and are thinking the exact same thing. Like she is one bad ass bitch that Courtney, look <laughs> at her. Oh my God. I wish I had a quarter of her energy. I'm just so sure that's what people are saying when you go by. You. I know it. <laughs> no, I know it. It's true. <laughs> like you just exude all of this and this story. What made you decide also then, total tangent, <laughs> go do 500 miles across Spain? Yeah, so that's one of my favorite stories about my story is I when I was in the hospital the first time, or wait, that was the second time, and I, I'm paralyzed thinking, okay, wow, like I've, I've lost the life that I had. You know, I was even like a stepmom and I thought, okay, well, I have a complete, all strings of attachment have been cut. All cords have been cut, you know? And this question was really powerful. And I love this question for anyone when you're going through any kind of trauma or major life change or something happened and, you know, invaded your life that you didn't want. And this question is powerful. I said, okay, what's something that I can do with my life now that I'll love that I couldn't have done before the invasion of that thing. Oh, wow. And for me, before I had a whole life, I had birthday parties, wed you know, wedding showers, a full-time job with one week of vacation a year, a boyfriend, he had kids that I was basically a stepmom to. So I thought, okay, well, something I've always wanted to do is hike the Camino de Santiago across Northern Spain. It's a 500 mile or 800 kilometer hike, but I never had the time because I couldn't take a 35 day break from my life. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, cool. That's something really fun that I could do now that I couldn't have done before. And I can't do it right now because I was paralyzed, but it was such a beautiful, happy ending for me. I always visualized, okay, I'll work towards that. I'll walk again and then I'll get stronger and then I'll get so strong. I can walk across the country and it's going to be amazing and be something I've always wanted to do anyways. And there's so many things that we can do in life that are all awesome mm -hmm. and so full of joy, but you can't do them at the same time. We get stuck in this mentality that we've been taught that there's this one life. If we can just find this one life path that we were meant for our purpose this one thing, then we're going to feel the least amount of pain and the most joy. And it's, if we could just find what that is, but there's not one path. No, there's your life right now. There's no getting back to a, a part of your, you know, getting back to your life because you're living your life right now. Like it's all your life. It's all your experience. And again, that's why I love that quote so much of we're not here to find ourselves, find that one path. We're here to just be in a constant state of creation. So it's like, I loved my life before. I'm not one of those people that will be like, man, I needed that to happen to really learn to love my life. I loved my life so much. And I loved everything about my life when I got sick and that stopped. And now I love my life living in Cabo San Lucas, teaching personal development, helping people heal, you know, by sharing my story and exchanging wisdoms with people. I love it, but it's totally different than the Las Vegas DJ loving, burning man going, life loving person that I was before. We couldn't, I couldn't be in two different, two paths more different, but they're both awesome, but I can't live them at the same time. And that's okay. So it's like when, when life forces you in a different direction and life as you know it is no more, that's okay. It's what can I do now? What can I create now with what has been presented? And, you know, some of it's forced on you, some of it you chose, but what can you create now 
that's amazing that you couldn't have created before this, everything changed. And it's powerful to figure that out. And it's hard to see, but it's, it's there to create. Oh my God. I'm going to carry that with me for a really long time. (laughs) Thank you. That was so incredible. I've struggled with, you know, everything happens for a purpose, like, and it makes it seem like there's this predetermined one path, but I believe that you actually are the captain of your own ship. Right. So as you were talking and I thought, oh, I remember, this is going to seem like such a weird connection maybe, but I remember when I'd had my son and I love him with my whole heart. Like I just, I just love this baby. And then I was pregnant with my second and I thought, how is it even humanly possible to love another as much as I love this first one? Like it it can't, oh my God, I feel so bad. How can I have a second child? I'll never be. And then my second child was born and, and she was so just her. And I just loved her with my whole heart. And it's like, do I have two hearts? Like, how did this happen? And then I just couldn't stop it. I had the third one, (laughs) but each one of them is so different from each other. And I love them equally, but differently for different things about them. But I never thought, could I love the choices that I make and my own life and myself with who I am through all of my changes and difference? I'm still, it's still the whole love. It's still the whole love of, I love my life because that's who I am. I am somebody who loves living and the context of the living, what I'm doing, where I'm at, I can love that. And I can be in a different context and be doing something different. And I can love that because that's who I am. So I had not made that connection. And that really does come back to my fundamental belief that it really is us inside that is creating this whole world that we exist in. That's a beautiful analogy and connection. Yeah, that's just what was coming to me as you were talking. Is there anything that can, that was so amazing. There's nothing that can top that. But I'm also really curious because I'm part of this path and this life that you are living today is involving Netflix. I kind of want to hear a little bit about that before I let (laughs) you go. Because I'm like, you probably wouldn't have been doing Netflix before. Just saying. (laughs) Definitely not. I had nothing worthy of going on there. I mean, everything's already been filmed and it's in production and everything, but I don't have like a lot of information on it. One, I'm not supposed to know anything because it's like non-disclosure and all that kind of stuff. It's a documentary that is about human connection and how when we become disconnected from the earth, from being outside, from exercising, from being a human and connecting with other human and the human touch when we become disconnected from that, we get sick. And when we reconnect with it, we heal. So that's the the basis and kind of what makes this, well, what makes the documentary really special is a lot of things. This is crazy. So when I first was in it, they flew my two best friends to show, you know, the connection in this and that. And one of these two best friends uh, got cancer. And she didn't make it. It was lung cancer. She's one of my two best friends. She died in uh, in June of 2020. And after that, they flew us and my other best friend that is still with us with the sisters of the other friend. And we did a second add-on to the documentary where we spread her ashes and did some really, really cool stuff to celebrate her. So that was just an interesting twist of the documentary. Uh, the direction that it took that none of us saw coming. Yeah. And of course, I wish it didn't take that twist, but it it is a beautiful, they did a really good job of sharing that story. Grief is grief is wild. You know, some of my favorite quotes on grief, because that, that was so crazy. It was like, she helped me when I was paralyzed. And then as I came out of my paralysis, she got cancer. And she said a lot of my videos and her watching me and the struggles prepared her for her cancer and helped her through her cancer. So it was really an interesting dynamic that she helped me heal. And then I helped her transition. And some of my favorite quotes of grief from that experience was grief is love with nowhere to go. 
and grief is a broken heart, not a broken brain. Cause like people can tell you all day long, like they're not suffering anymore and they're in a better place, but intellectually you understand it's just your heart's broken because you've got all this love that you don't have them here to give to. Yeah. Grief is a part of the human experience and compassion, like true compassion. And you read Atlas of the Heart. So, you, you know, you know, your, your book of the month for your podcast, it's not trying to fix someone's grief or change it yeah. and grief. You, I had grief of my illness. You know, it's grief isn't just losing someone you love. It's loss in general of love or of what love of your health, love of yourself, whatever it is. Uh, but true compassion is sitting with someone and not trying to fix it or change it and just honoring that loss and witnessing that loss. Yeah. And just saying that sucks. <laughs> but yeah, the the documentary, I don't I don't have exact dates of when it'll come out, but it is really cool and it was a special thing to be a part of. And I'm excited for when they finish getting it all all done. I am too. I can hardly wait to see it. And I'm just going to put you on the spot here and make you commit to coming back when it releases as part of your media tour. (laughs) I would love to. I would be honored. Oh, that would be so great. Oh, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Courtney. It has been amazing. You are a bright light. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you for holding space for other people's stories, but also holding space for just the human experience and the things that happen and they're not always perfect. Thank you. So what is the best way for people to find out about working with you, to find out how to follow you? What's the best way? I've got a Facebook, an Instagram, a TikTok. My handle's at the Unicort, T-H-E-U-N-I-C-O-R-T. And my website is CourtneyRunyon.com, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-R-U-N-Y-O-N.com. And but you can just send me a Facebook message or any of my social media platforms is cool. I'll tell you what, I will put those links into the show notes for anybody listening. You want to get hold of Courtney, find out about maybe as things get closer to the uh, release. You're also a published author. So to be able to get in touch with you, get access to any of those things, maybe look at some personal development opportunities, then they can just put a pause on this, go to the show notes and click one of the links. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. It has been such a pleasure having you on. I think you're just a marvel. Just (laughs) wonderful. Thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you for your lens uh, that you have for the world and for Uh, the platform that you've created and how you choose to use it. Thank you. And now for the recap. There are so many amazing points that Courtney made that I want to revisit. First, big life changes happen. Big, significant, painful changes. But when we resist the change, when we constantly fight it, that is where much of our suffering comes from. And yes, change can be scary, but we are all so much more powerful, resilient, and adaptable than we often think that we are. And we are ultimately the creators of our life. If we look for joy, we will find it. If we look to be a victim and powerless, we will find evidence of that too. Our outlook actually creates our reality, regardless of the circumstances. Which leads me to Courtney's next point, where she says that so many of us believe that outside factors our circumstances or situation or something outside of us will determine if we are happy. That sometimes we even think that we don't deserve to be happy unless we achieve those things. And maybe you can relate to this. I'll be happy if I fit in my skinny jeans, or I'll be happy if I get the job promotion, or in Courtney's case, I'll be happy if I walk again. But she decided not to wait. She chose to find the joy in every moment. And sometimes it wasn't joyous, And that's life too. Because, as Courtney quoted, we aren't here to find ourselves. We are here to create ourselves. And every moment we are alive, we are choosing and creating. We touched briefly on the profound impact that our personal relationships can have on our health. We often recognize that there are mental health impacts, but our bodies also carry our emotional stress. And Courtney is a living example of how it can damage physical health. More and more science is coming out supporting her experience. And the point that Courtney raised that absolutely rocked me 
was that you can't do all the awesome, joyful things all at the same time. She had a life that she loved and then was paralyzed and her life changed dramatically. And now she has a life that she loves, but it looks entirely different. The things that she has done, like hiking the Camino de Santiago for 32 days, was not something she could have done in her previous life. The documentary she is in, that would not have happened in her previous life. And this really hit home for me because I'm a seeker and I'm always looking to understand who I am. That's what this whole podcast is about. But the way that Courtney said it, it made me realize that there are actually a million wonderful outcomes available to me and to everyone. I'm not actually seeking out for that one needle in a haystack that's my life's ultimate purpose. I can actually turn every moment into an opportunity to enrich my life. The life, the love, the heartbreak, the joy, it's in the everyday. It's in the journey, not the outcome. And one final powerful message that Courtney shared was when she talked about grief. Grief of a lost loved one, grief of a lost way of life. I love how she described grief as having love that you had no place to put. You have love for the person, the life you lived, the job you had, the friendship, and then the object of love is gone. And you can have all this love, but nowhere to put it. And my favorite part of that conversation was when Courtney said that true compassion is sitting with someone in their grief and not trying to fix it or change it, but honoring the loss. That is another message I'll take to heart. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Happyish Ever After. I hope that you get as much from hearing this podcast as I did getting to host this conversation. I am so blessed to have such amazing guests join me every week. And if you, like my friend Matt, have someone that you think would be an amazing guest, please reach out and let me know. You can connect with me through Instagram. I'm Tatiana Robertson Official. Or you can email me at Tatiana, which is T-A-T-I-A-N-A, at TatianaRobertson.com. And while I've still got you here on the podcast, make sure to share this episode with a friend. Courtney's message was incredibly powerful, The just the wisdom that she shared. All you have to do is go to your phone, click on, you're on the episode already, click the three dots, and it will give you a share or copy option. And then you can text a link directly to your friends. And if you would be so kind as to follow, rate, and review the podcast, I would be so grateful because it really does make all the difference. I hope that you have a beautiful weekend. Much love to you.